Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice podcast. It's so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zhang, a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. Our conversation is about what matters most in our life, our mind, our thought, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. And for all of your beautiful souls who have been asking about my latest books, here they are. Let me share them with you. The first one that I want to share with you is Intentional Parenting. Intentional Parenting, a Practical Guide to Awareness Integration Theory, which I wrote and co-authored with Dr. Nicole Jaffery, which is an expert in human development, and Dr. Eileen Manukian, an expert in early child development strategies. And uh, the three of us worked on this book and wrote it in a way that we take the awareness integration theory and practical interventions in how to do parenting in different stages of life, such as infancy, toddler, um, school age, teen, and um, adolescent, and then uh, young adult. So that each one of the, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, a daycare teacher, a preschool teacher, grandparents who work with children, you are able to take this book and really work with it and um, uh, take those practical guide and use them. And for all of you who are coaches or psychotherapists, this book, Awareness Integration Therapy, Clear the Past, Create a New Future, and Live a Fulfilled Life Now is ready for you. Um, that book is um, about the awareness integration therapy and how you can utilize all the interventions in, um, in your practice. You can also gain um, a certificate if you like to come to our courses and be a certified therapist or coaches in the awareness integration theory. Your name will be um, set up in all of the websites as a provider, especially since the Fujian app will be coming out and it's going to go through all of the um, awareness integration process as a self-help process. Um, and people might need coaches and um, therapists to go a bit deeper with what they do. If you are a provider, if you are a therapist or a coach, you can be certified and are can be able to support people who really need a little bit of more of a deeper connection. Now today, um, in this episode, I chat with Anna Gabriel Mann. She is a psychotherapist working with adults and families. She also is a dance movement therapist in addition to her work in family therapy in Five Secrets Marriage Coaching. She's been a clinical director of a support program for people with Alzheimer's disease. She co-founded New England's first college of Chinese medicine and worked as a corporate consultant, speaker, trainer, and business coach. She's the creator and the lead facilitator of the Go-Giver Marriage Coaches Training Program. She has co-authored their latest book with her husband, John David Lane, who is a New York Times and national bestseller author and has won the 2017 Living Now Book Award Evergreen Medal for its contributions to positive global change. Today, we will be talking about their latest book, The Go-Giver Marriage, The Little Story, about the five secrets to lasting love. I really enjoyed our conversation. 
really go over all the actual secrets and um, things that you think are so important to to be in a marriage and to create that kind of a quality of a relationship. I hope you enjoyed as much as I have enjoyed talking to her. Now, subscribe to this podcast, my YouTube channel, and connect with me, please, through my website, fujanzain.com, or any of the social media. For all of you who love workbooks and love to do your own work, please get my um, book, Life Reset, which you can get from Amazon or my website. Uh, Life Reset is the awareness integration path to creating the life you want. And uh, it's easy to follow and you can go through the process at home and uh, gain a lot of results in every area of your life. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Connect with me. I want to hear from you and uh, tell me your ideas, your thoughts, people you want me to talk to and uh, share with me. All right. Without further ado, here she is, Anna Mann. Welcome to the show, Anna Gabriel Mann. It's so nice to have you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you. I um, went through your book, um, The Go-Giver Marriage. I love the title, The Go-Giver Marriage. I see that Harville Hendricks, which I adore with Helen, um, and I've taken Imago Therapy uh, certification from them, and I just follow them, and I really love them. Um, that you know he, they wrote for you and um, you wrote this book with your husband John David Mann and uh, he's not with us today and you are going to let us know about first of all Anna what got you to write this book with your husband well my husband co-authored a book called The Go-Giver which has sold over a million copies and it's very very popular in business circles because it really addresses the ways in which um, being a giver, and I don't mean giver in terms of money or things of that sort, but more being somebody who adds value to somebody else's life, somebody who's always finding opportunities to be generous. Um, and in business, believe it or not, that's the way that you can really build deep relationships, really authentic relationships, and people sort of fall in love with you because they know they can trust you. You'll always make a referral to them. You know, there's that sense of feeling safe with somebody who's a real giver. Um, that book not only got its own life, but it took off like rapid fire. And it was written as a parable, um, just as The Go-Giver Marriage is. And when it first came off the press in 2005, and I was actively working as a therapist, my husband shared it with me. I was the first reader and he said, what do you think? And I said, I think it's amazing. I think it's going to be big. And I also think that um, this book is going to, would be just an incredible book on marriage because whenever I'm really coaching and working with, with clients around their marriage and their relationships, I'm always really trying to impart to them the intentionality of being purposeful in the way that you bring yourself to the relationship in the way that you 
carry your energy, um, the way that you interact and being generous of spirit. And so we started talking about it as a marriage book. And, you know, a number of go-giver books came out after the go-giver. So we really didn't want this book to compete with those. So we waited quite a long time, but in the middle of the pandemic, just as it was starting, you know, we looked at each other and said, now is the time we have to get this book out there because people are cooped up in their homes all by themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's really how it started. Um, I know in my own experience in relationship that it is um, especially marriage because I think marriage beyond any other relationship is when you really got to um, negotiate and give in so many layers of your life you know maybe like in career you are um you you play a role in your career and you give yourself in your career and it might not necessarily relate to all the other parts of your life marriage is one of those relationships that it sources kind of all areas of your life and every area gets uh, gets affected by it and your marriage affects the other ones too. Um, we become partners in so many layers, whether it's the financial or society or family, you know, we bring everything to it. Like we don't take our family into our work, but we bring the work into our marriage. We, you know, we, we don't take maybe our marriage into the family, but we bring family into our marriage. So there's so many different layers that it's intertwined and therefore, it takes so much more of that type of generosity um, to, to be able to consistently negotiate. And sometimes you, you can be generous without negotiating, just the, the concept of the so, being source of the generosity and, and giving and automatically somehow out there, it gets negotiated by itself in the most beautiful place versus, you know, sometimes we like it when we talk about negotiation and most people think about family strategize to negotiate. And it's like, if you're just holding generosity as this strategy, somehow it all works out. It kind of like it all works out out there because there's two people who are be, be willing to just put it all out there. Exactly. And you make a great point because one of the things that we speak about in the book is what we call the little scorekeeper, because people are often looking at the relationship, not from the standpoint of what can I give and how can I be generous in the relationship, but rather what can I get and how can I get my needs met and, and, or I took out the trash twice this week. What have you done? You know, I mean, it's like, there's this little score around who's keeping house, you know, how is the home being negotiated, who's cooking, who's shopping, who's taking care of the, the baby right now, you know, who gets to go for a run and who doesn't. Um, so, you know, it's very, you know, it is very much um, a game where people are trying to keep score, if you will. And when they drop the scorekeeper and they allow themselves to just really engage in acts of generosity, the scorekeeper kind of vanishes. And and specific bad habits, each of the five secrets that we define in the book has an opposite. And those opposites are, are very destructive. And yet they're really easy to fall into. Yes, we're human. And it's going to come up one way or another. But when you are very aware of those pieces, then 
you watch for them or you catch yourself really quickly in them and then you can come back into the essence of generosity it's great if you can catch yourself quickly i think that the other piece that point that you made that I think is really important is that everybody brings their family history to a relationship. So if you had a really critical father, you know, chances are you're either going to marry someone who's critical or you're going to be critical. Yes. So um, your book says, but don't give her marriage, a little story about five secrets to lasting love. First of all, there are stories and they're beautiful stories. It's written in such a beautiful way. It just like captures uh, you. I was I was reading it also late and it was funny because my eyes were going like this and I'm like, I like to read story. And the story just builds upon itself and really captures, like you said, not only the cognitive side of us, not only the thought process and you really understand, but it captures our emotion. And that's how you know, it lands, it really lands beautifully on us. So let's talk about the five secrets of lasting love. So the first one I read was appreciate, right? Look for specific things. And by the way, in the book, not only there's a story, but there's also a lot of beautiful um, exercises that not only as you read it, you capture it and get it, but also it gives you the uh, exercises so you can go back and exercise every point that, that, that is in your book. So let's talk about appreciation. You know, appreciation is something that, you know, is really born in early narcissism when you're just an infant and you have a mom or a dad or a grandparent, you know, looking down on you as you're laying on the blanket <laughs> And they're just talking to you as if you're the most beautiful baby that was ever born in the world. And that sense of being completely admired and appreciated and um, that, that energy feeds you, it nourishes you, it helps you as you are developing to define who you are and to feel seen and witnessed. And in adult development, being witnessed is, is still one of the primary needs, one of the most important primary needs that people have, which is the desire to just be understood, to be, to be seen, to be witnessed, to be understood and known. And so taking the time to really just appreciate your partner, even just two times a day, three times a day, to stop them in their tracks and say, you know, I don't say this to you often, but you always take out the trash. I never have to think about it. And I just really want you to know, I so appreciate that. And I really appreciate you. And, you know, he'll walk away going, what happened? <laughs> you know, Did she take something? Um, you know, because it's, it's so out of left field, if you will. But if you get in the habit of doing it, it also uniquely dismantles the opposite of appreciation, which is criticism. And criticism has a tremendous amount of momentum in a relationship. And it's very subtle. It can be very passive aggressive. And it's something that, you know, you could be at a party and have your husband or your wife make a comment in front of other people. That's just something that is like, ah. and there you are, you've been criticized publicly. Um, but it happens a lot behind the scenes and it's so often associated with just somebody wanting things to be just so, wanting you know the kitchen to be put away exactly the way they want it. 
It's all about control. And the desire to criticize is often born out of that desire to be in control or feel as if you can control the environment around you, including the people. And so the thing that people will always ask, you know, especially clients that are like, I'm really somebody who criticizes, it's like out of control. How can I stop this? Well, the way you stop a bad habit isn't to like think about it and be like, oh, I've got to stop doing this because that only raises more anxiety. The way to stop down that bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. So really using that secret and just spending your time scanning for ways that you love and appreciate your spouse and telling them is a really fast way to shut down that negativity of criticism. There's two things that shows up for me and I work a lot also with couples. It's that, um, Sometimes when a couple's talking, somebody is like they make all the negative aspects of the couple of the their partner in their head and they just kind of like focus the lens only on the negativity and they brew that negativity inside. All of the criticism they have, they just hook on to their criticism and they brew it and they brew it and they brew it. And then sometimes after a while in a couple of sessions, I'm like, the monster you've created in your head that you marry, how do you live with that monster that you created? Because you create a monster in your head and you live with that monster. And then you forget to appreciate all the greatness about the other person is, take, is, is taken for granted. And not only taken for granted for the other person, but it's not fair to you because you got married because of the beauty of this person now you're hooking only on the stuff you don't like and you ruin this marriage for yourself even in your own head it's it's sometimes it's even irrelevant whether you say it or not the point is you think it and when you're consistently thinking it then you're creating that concept for yourself so this was one of the things that showed up for me as you talked about how beautiful that we appreciate the other person in our own head consistently one aspect of it is sharing it with them which is like quote but it's also like can I do myself a favor and keep reminding myself and I say can you honor the person you chose to marry can you honor yourself for your choice and the only way we could honor ourselves for your choice is if we keep appreciating who we picked and all the greatness that is about them and then the second thing that showed up for me as you were talking is the same way we criticize somebody in public, it is so beautiful when we appreciate them in public. Yes. That person kind of like, you know, and all of the other people's eyes comes in and starts looking at that person from that slant because you just put it, you made it public. Yes. Great they are. Yeah, you painted a picture. And you're also describing beautifully um, the act of projection because... You know, a lot of times, I, I remember a supervisor of mine years ago saying, you know, I always teach young women who are in difficult relationships to never marry a man who hated his mother. And she said, because she will wear that mother's face within five years of the relationship beginning, he will project onto her all the bad feelings he has toward his mother onto her. And it really won't matter if she's the most wonderful person in the world, because what he'll be seeing 
is this projection of negativity. And you're describing that so beautifully. People really do make a construct in their mind and they hold it. And um, when you appreciate somebody, you really give yourself the opportunity not only to own this love that you've fallen in love with and that you've married, but also to really just open the gates to more love coming back to you. Because the other thing that happens when you appreciate somebody is they give it back like a boomerang. Yes. Your second little secret is to attend. Can you share a bit about that? Well, attend is, is, um, is really about paying attention. Um, it is about attending to all the ways that your spouse really wants to be attended to, if you will. Um, you know, everything from, you know, my husband is a writer and he spends a good deal of his time in an office, every, in his office every day in our home. And so oftentimes in the afternoon, I'll bring him a snack, a cup of tea, some sliced pears and apple and cheese, a few nuts. And I'll just bring it in on a little side plate with a cup of tea. And it gives him something to munch on and he totally enjoys the tea. You know, that for him is really great because he doesn't have to get up. He doesn't have to go make it. And it's just a way of attending. It's a way of taking care of your spouse in a way that you know that they would like. Now I'll give you another example. And it could be, you know, a young mother who's home with two toddlers all day long. And all she really wants is to have an adult conversation, maybe an adult beverage and maybe a, a jog and a shower. And we use that opportunity. I mean, she might, she might have baby stuff all over her shoulder and be in a, in a t-shirt that's covered with kids. Um, so, you know, if you know that and you're willing to come home and take over for an hour and give her the chance to take either a nice long soaking bath and, you know, maybe you'll start dinner or she's already got dinner in the oven and all you have to do is just give her a break. Um, things like that are really appreciated and they really help couples to feel not only taken care of, but genuinely attended to. So there's so many ways that you can do it, um, but it's an act of generosity that has to do with paying attention to what your spouse likes or needs. Part of what we know, um, and I think people who um, are listening or watching us have probably heard a lot is that people have different types of love language and we're comfortable with the way of a particular way of giving that attention and, and love. Uh, I'm also hearing the attend uh, concept is to really know what it works for our partner, not only how it works for us, because that's beautiful that that's how we like to receive something or give something, but also really look at what is it that they want, uh, which makes it just beautiful for them. And we hear it a lot, right? With couples that come in and say, well, you don't, you don't care for me. And the other person recites all the way that all day they care for the other person, but the other person's not really receiving it as that. And it's like, no, because I don't care. I don't receive it the way with the behavior that I like. Um, I still, I'm going to assign that you don't care for me. So, um, and, you know, the person who's giving so much and it's not being acknowledged for it is going to feel defeated also. But it also gives us the message that people like to be attended to with the things they really like. So that type of 
attention um, makes it easier for us to know what they want and then give it to them. Exactly. And I'll give you an example um, that's used in the book. You know, it was a, a, a guy who kind of is a, you know, self-named a little bit OCD and he really likes the house to be clean. And his wife was home all day long with two toddlers. And when he would get home, the house was in chaos. There were toys wall to wall from one end to the other. Dinner wasn't started. And she just had that look on her face, like, get me out of here. And what she wanted was space. She wanted to just get away from the kids and, and go out for a jog. And so she started, they sat down one night, really talked about what was not working for both of them. And he finally admitted that coming home to the house in chaos was made him feel crazy, like just overwhelmed and crazy. And he couldn't, he didn't feel like he could even be with the kids because he felt like he had to run around and start picking up toys and trying to manage the chaos because he couldn't stand it. And she, once she really understood that, she put baskets in every room of the house and she would even get her toddlers to help her for like a half an hour before dad got home. They would march around the house and put all the toys in the baskets. She would start dinner in advance of him getting there. It might be baked potatoes and some chicken or whatever in the oven so that when he arrived, he could just sit down and play with the kids. He didn't have to like look around at all the mess and the clutter. She would load the dishwasher, make sure the counters were wiped off, just really zen down the house. The beds were made. She started to understand that what he needed was order. What she needed was space. So once they both really understood that, he started not only taking care of putting the kids in a bath while she was out running, giving her time to take a bath or a shower when she got home. And then they were having these late dinners after they would put the kids to bed. He would read to the children and they would get those kids down to sleep. And then they would have these candlelight dinners where they would really enjoy each other because the house was clean, the kids were asleep, and they were both in some sort of what I call relational shake. So it was a, it was a two-way street. What they needed was different, mm -hmm. but in communicating about those needs, they could both start to say, okay, I get it. And, you know, I live with somebody that it, it, both of us really don't like disorder. And so it's really an amazing blend because we're always both kind of picking up and keeping things tidy so that we can both just get our work done and feel relaxed and not feel like there's a looming mess on the horizon. <laughs> it reminded me of a couple that I have that um, he is very busy all day, um, almost, you know, his own chaos at office. And then he comes home and um, he needs some time before he can get out of the office chaos to even attend to the house. And she is handling two very little young kids which she feels like chaos and just wants him home so she can just deliver the kids to him and then he could have the space that she's talking about and his sentence is like i don't know whenever she sees me she just wants to dump the kids and run <laughs> just saying I, I, i'm with them all day and then yes not only that i want you to take care of them but i want you to have time with them and the same conversation you were having about the two of them need, especially this comes with a lot with young children, right? Parents with young children, they go through a lot of uh, this kind of back and forthness and having the ability to know how they need to attend to themselves first and then communicate to the other person also. So the other person really knows how to uh, create that, that um, you know, 
love and boundaries. Everyone, The Go-Giver, Marriage, a little story about the five secrets to lasting love. How about the next one, Allow? Allow is really um, a difficult one to dismantle from one standpoint. It's We call it the for better or, the, or for worse secret. Because allow, the word itself, people think, well, what, do, what does allow mean? I mean, am I allowing bad behavior or... What are we allowing here? Um, and what allow really is, is allowing for the moments in your marriage where your marriage and life is not going to be fair. And specifically, um, I like to use the example of one spouse or the other being sick or a child being sick. Because when a child is sick and your spouse is completely consumed with caring for that child, Yes, the house is not going to clean, get cleaned up, the laundry is not going to get done, and dinner will not be on the table because she has been up to her ears with calling the doctor, a high fever, making sure that this child was getting whatever medication or, or whatever they needed. And, you know, every mother who's dealt with a sick child knows that children that are sick are like Velcro. They are attached to you. They don't want to be unattached to you the entire day. So by the end of the day, you know, you're pretty wrung out. And this child is really whiny because they don't feel well. And so for the spouse, the other spouse to be expecting anything other than what can I do to make this situation better? That's what allowing really is. Allowing is recognizing that you're not going to get your needs met all the time because there's other people's needs in the way. And you're also not going to you know, marriage is not fair. I, you know, I think people really want to look at a marriage as a zero-sum game, a 50-50 proposition of like, I'll do my 50-50 and you do yours. And then we're going to be even, we're going to be equal. And there's nothing equal about marriage. There will be times, you know, an example I use often is I broke my leg in a compound fracture that prevented me from stepping on it for over a year. So I was on crutches. I'd been somebody who was running several miles a day. I had a very active physical life. I did a lot of things around the house. I love to cook. Um, so I was always the person that made dinner. You know, it's just, I love to. And I went from that to being able to not get a glass of water across the room. And so for over a year, John had to make or manage dinner. He had to deliver water to me, tea, anything else I needed. He had to clean up because I couldn't stand in the kitchen because I couldn't have circulation rushing to my foot. Um, so I couldn't stand to load dishwashers or do dishes or anything. So, I mean, I, he instantly not only had his full-time job, but he had a great deal of what it takes to run a household on his plate. And, you know, it just was what, what happened. And he was gracious about it. He didn't whine, he didn't complain. And that kind of stuff is gonna happen. You know, when they say for better or for worse, there really will be moments when it's a lot worse. You know, when something's happened, you know, when your spouse suddenly finds out they have cancer or they've got something that has come up that's really a problem, you are going to have to pick up the slack. If they run the carpool and they can't drive because their foot is broken, um, then you're going to drive the carpool. 
And you're going to have to work around, you know, whether that's inconvenient for your job, you might have to arrange all kinds of carpooling, you know, whatever it takes to keep the household running and keep everybody moving forward. That's what allowing is. And the other thing that allowing really is, is allowing for what I call the proverbial um, mood of the moment. And that is that you might come home and find that your spouse is really cranky or they're out of sorts. They've had a really bad day. And maybe they're a little snappy in that moment. Allowing is the part of you that is bigger than reacting to that snapping. The part of you that can say, I get it. You've had a bad day. Can I um, mix you a beverage? And would you like to go take a hot soak in a tub? And can I pick up the slack for you in some way that's going to make your life easier right now? And also that you don't get offended by the fact that they snapped at you or that they were cranky. You know, people get cranky. And what will happen if you're generous of spirit and you're allowing is that what you'll find is your spouse will come back later and say, I'm sorry, I was such a bee, but I was just so strung out after this day. And thank you so much for letting me take a bath and mixing me a drink or a glass of wine or a smoothie, whatever, because it just gave me the chance to take a breath, relax and realize that you do so much for me. And I appreciate it so much when you are so generous like this. It gives you an opportunity to come back and really be appreciative and to share what that really means to get taken care of and for someone to be allowing for the fact that you might have been totally cranky. I'm also hearing um, allowing yourself to be who you are and what your needs are and maybe sharing those because even if your spouse is not necessarily catching on, um, maybe even allowing you to be you, then you're kind of aware of this is the energy I'm bringing. This is my issue. I've been cranky all day because of, you know, another area of my life, whether I'm upset about something at work or whatever, and I'm upset or I need the bath or all of that. And somehow if I'm allowing myself to be this, then maybe I can also ask um for that to happen um and then obviously the partner who has the allowance will take oh of course like i'll take this on while you take care of yourself so i'm hearing allowance on both levels right it is on both levels and i but at the same time i think when you're going to ask for your needs it's you know if you really are in that place where you've just had horrendous day um i think that you have to also be willing and allowing to tune into where your spouse is in that moment and not to just crank at them, not to just be really irritable saying, look, I've had a rough day. I need a bath. You know, um, I just think it's, it's important to say, I would really like to spend time with you, but I am so strung out right now. And I just, I just need half an hour alone in a bathtub with a cold beverage. Do you think that would be okay? Can I take that space for myself? And will you support that? Right. And it's brought in a way that's really um, also very allowing of the fact that who knows, his boss might've fired him. You, know? you have no idea what he came through the door with because you haven't checked in. You haven't been fully allowing as well because you're, you know, it's impossible not to be sometimes self-centered and self-consumed 
in any relationship. And that's one of the things that drives people crazy is that they want that sense of equity. Um, but you're not always going to have it. And that's part of what allowing is. Yes. So the fourth one is belief. Can you share a little bit about belief? Believe in your partner wholeheartedly. Give them your complete, unshakable. Partner. Yeah. You know, when you meet people as adults who really are just taking the world by storm, they usually had somebody in their childhood or adolescence as they were growing up who truly believed in them and who reminded them of who they were, who reminded them of their greatness, who was constantly, if they had any moments of hesitation or doubt about themselves, would bring them back to center by reminding them of who they are. And those kind of parents are, are golden. You know, if you have that kind of parent, you're well equipped for the world. You know, uh, Winnicott once, you know, was said, you know, when in describing the so-called good enough mother, um, he would say, well, you know, this is a, a parent who attends to their child well enough that the child is going to be able to absorb that and attend to themselves as an adult and make it in the world. And that's what he meant by the good enough mother. Um, you know, in, in terms of believing in somebody, you know, it's, it's kind of the magic bullet in my opinion. People always have hesitations and doubts about themselves. Our secret insecurities are sometimes not so secret. And especially in our relationship, you know, you can be really struggling at your job and the only person that knows is your wife or your husband. You can have a colleague at work that makes you feel like you wanna turn inside out and have a rage fit. The only person that knows is your husband. So sometimes having that husband or wife who says, you know, I hear how hard this is, but I wanna remind you that you've always been good at managing really difficult people. You've always been really good at bringing out the best in people who are not necessarily that generous of spirit. And, you know, I believe that you can, you can, you can not only do this, but you can conquer. You can do well and you're going to, you know, you're going to come out on top. Remember who you are in all of those moments. Um, and, you know, that kind of vote of confidence coming from your spouse is so critical. And in the book, we use an example that I, I think is really telling as well. And that is uh, a gentleman who has erectile dysfunction. And, you know, his, his wife is, you know, and, and, and like a lot of men, he, he, he thinks that using any kind of medication would be sort of making him less of a man. And his wife is like, are you kidding? No, you know, that's not true. You know, and she, she sort of gently builds him by helping him to see that, you know, their sex life means a lot to her and that she still loves being with him in that intimate way. And that it doesn't mean a thing to her if he takes a blue pill and they have a wonderful afternoon, you know? So it's that kind of, that kind of like, I believe in you because you are the person I chose. I love you. You know, that kind of deep sense of there's nothing for you to worry about. I am your safe harbor. And that's one of the other things we say about believe. It's like, have that generosity of spirit, be their safe harbor. 
And in a lot of research that's been done globally, men have said that the one thing they want from a relationship is a safe harbor. It's interesting when you were saying that, <clears throat> I have really, really experienced um, in, in our marriage um, that we have both flourished within the past couple of years in all other areas of our life also because of the way that we have believed in each other. And um, I've also seen it in my in couples who I see and I've seen it in my friends where when there was a lot of the distrust and drama and you know ups and downs in their intimate relationship, it almost halted every other areas of their life, their growth, their um, their financial growth, their career grow growth, their social growth, every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, when they were in a relationship that truly they believed in each other and have done um, the uh, the other secrets that we just talked about, um, not only this relationship was the safe haven, but it's almost like the minute that you have the safe haven, suddenly it's like a nest that you can come and rest and be yourself and gain energy. And then like the rest of it, it just uh, flourishes everywhere, which comes back to the marriage again, and it flourishes everywhere. And um, so this part of believing in each other, it is so important. I've known people who had so such a low self-esteem and they didn't believe in themselves. And when they were with the right partner, which truly saw them through that eyes that I believe in you. Um, it's almost like they got reparented all over and um, they shine, they truly shine. They do. And you know, I work as a, as a, I'm a therapist, but I work as a life coach as well. And I like to say that a life coach's job is not to help you um, make decisions about you know, or have opinions about your future or your path or where you're headed, but rather a a life coach's job is to ask powerful questions because the answers are within you. And that's just a given. Absolutely. Everybody has their own answers. And it's so interesting when somebody really feels believed in and they can feel that sense of, of moving forward and making decisions that are right for them all of a sudden their life really does blossom. And it's a powerful and amazing feeling to go after the things you really love. And when you have a spouse who believes in you in that way, it is magic. And I have seen the same kinds of transformations where people really become the person they were always meant to be. And sometimes, you know, my husband never wrote novels. He was always writing business books and parables and but for 25 years, I'd been saying to him, I think you'd be an incredible novelist. And um, a few years back, he published his first novel and um, it was nominated for a Barry Award, which is a very significant award. Um, and, you know, it was really just a sweet moment of him realizing that, you know, for all those years that I'd been telling him, I thought he'd be an incredible novelist. A little voice in him was saying, well, isn't that sweet? She thinks that, but I don't believe it. And eventually he believed. Yeah, so it's, it is very powerful to believe in somebody. It's a huge, deep well that we all need to have filled, if you will. 
series, which leads us to the fifth one, which is grow, which is what we've been talking about. So share a bit about grow. Grow encompasses every aspect of your life and grow is, in my opinion, the most important, like of the secrets, the first four secrets are about giving to your spouse, really being generous of spirit with your spouse or direct partner, or in a, in a work situation, it's being generous of spirit with the people you work with. Um, so the first four secrets are always about giving to another. The fifth secret is about giving to yourself. And in all the Go-Giver books, there are five either laws or secrets or habits. And each one of the four, first four are about giving. And the fifth one is always a paradox that's either about receiving in some way or giving to yourself. The reason grow is so important is that there's so many ways to grow in, a, in life and in a relationship. And yet people don't do it. Sometimes people just get stuck in a, in a groove, if you will, where they're not growing, they're not developing. And adult development really speaks to the idea that we keep learning, we keep growing, and we keep developing through our entire adult life, right to the very end. There's no time for stagnation. And when people do stagnate, that's when they, they put the brakes on their relationship and they put the brakes on their life all at once. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Because um, somebody, one of the ways that people need to grow is in relation to their health. Because a lot of times people will just keep the bad habits going in terms of their health. They keep eating, you know, the high fat breakfasts and the pastries and the sugar and the, you know, power drinks and the coffee and they burn out their adrenals and they're eating way too much sugar. And before you know it, they're 45 or 50 pounds overweight and they haven't taken care of themselves. And somewhere between 50 and 60, they're suddenly on multiple medications. Maybe they have type two diabetes. Um, and when you don't take care of yourself during the course of your marriage, then you later become a liability in the marriage because now either you're sick or your spouse has to take care of you and or you limit the things that you can actually do because maybe you're too overweight to walk. Maybe you can no longer bike or go swimming or do certain things that you used to do that were active because of the handicap you've created with your health. And that's just one example. People do it in relation to learning new, new hobbies, new trades, new gifts, um, new, they stop reading, they stop learning. Um, they stop investing in themselves. And another big area of growth for me is emotional growth and what I call personal growth. Um, because maybe you did have that really critical father and maybe you've been kind of a hands on your hips kind of person. Um, and maybe it's time to go to therapy. Maybe it's time to find somebody that's neutral that can help you that you can talk to about where did this habit come from and how can you disarm it? How can you stay aware enough of the habit that you can overcome it and work, work with it? Um, those are the ways that people grow. And it's, it's so profound when people really take on that personal growth and keep growing throughout their life, because those are the couples that you see that are in their seventies that are, 
still really active, they're really healthy, they're off doing things together all the time, and their social life is rich, they're financially solid, you know, they've accounted for all the areas of their life that they needed to grow and develop, and they really did it. Um, so when I work with a client or when I work with somebody directly, I'm really focused more on grow that in the beginning, because I really want to know what is it that you want your life to be? What do you want this relationship to express? What do you want your life to express? Where's your creativity at? What do you love? Um, because when people start really falling in love with their life and pursuing the things that are big dreams for them, all of a sudden life gets really exciting and they feel like they have something to give to their partner because they're learning so much that they could sit at a restaurant over dinner and just be a complete motor mouth telling their partner all about this new thing they're learning, you know, like your school, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to keep growing. Beautiful. Everyone, please get this book, The Go-Giver Marriage, A Little Story about the five secrets to lasting love of John David Mann and Anna. You're the old man. Um, Anna, is there anything we have not talked about in one minute that you really want everybody to know? I think the one thing that I would love to let people know is in the book is that the, every secret has its opposite. And in the second half of the book where we're really getting down to the, what is this secret really about? we talk about those opposites and we talk about why they, they get a grip and how to disarm them. And I think that if you're in a marriage and you would like to not just figure out some ways to make it better, but figure out some ways to grow and to make yourself better, um, really taking on learning about the opposites and understanding how the secrets can disarm those opposites can be really powerful. So Thank you so much for hosting me. Of course. Where can they find you? Um, we have a website. It is gogivermarriage.com. And on that site, you can find not only the book and all of our um, people who recommend the book, um, but you can find out about all of our programs. We won um, a Go-Giver Coaches training program. And we also run uh, multiple small weekend events that are um, open for couples to come in and sort of do a two-day exploration of, of their relationship and where it stands and where, how they can shift it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time and being with me and everyone. Thank you. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.